0: Well, uh, brothers and sisters, happy Sunday. Come on, folks, it's Sunday. Let's celebrate. Every Sunday is a little Easter. Kinfolk, let us pray. Ever arriving, God, your hidden glory surrounds us. Open our eyes, Lord, that we can see you and know you. And send a word. Amen. In the year 1822, there was a Baptist minister. There were many Baptist ministers in 1822. In fact, we had a lot of them. But this fellow was from upstate New York, and his name was William Miller. And in 1822, on a very special day, that would become very uh, uh, important for him and for his followers, he made a note in his little personal devotional Bible. See, he'd been studying the book of Daniel, which is gonna get you into trouble. He was a bit of an armchair mathematician, and this William Miller figured he'd rightly sounded out when the return of Jesus Christ was going to happen. Well, this is a strange business right out of the gate. In our, in our tradition, we believe that Jesus Christ returned in glory and returns in glory, the birth of the church, and every Sunday when we share in the sacrament. And returns in glory through us, you and I. It's the body of Jesus Christ, right? Resurrected and at work in the world for its salvation. But William Miller was interested in something a little bit fancier than that. He wanted something more spectacular. Something glorious. Clouds rolled back like scrolls. Fiery comets and angel trumpets and this sort of thing. Real uh, real spectacular kind of. Hollywood-type return of Jesus Christ. And regardless, he pegged the date of Jesus' return. He knew when it was going to happen. He wrote, I believe that the second coming of Jesus Christ is near, even at the door, even within 21 years on or before 1843. Now later, he narrowed it down even further. William Miller wrote, My principles in brief are that Jesus Christ will come again to this earth to cleanse, purify, and take possession of the saints. With all the saints, sometime between March 21, 1843, and March 21, 1844. Okay? Now, this attracted some attention, got folks a little bit riled up, and got William Miller some serious followers. Now, they called themselves the Millerites. Sadly for the Millerites, 1844 proceeded according to schedule without any sort of celestial cataclysm. Nevertheless, Miller proposed that they'd entered into a tarrying time. A time when they needed to prepare for the master to return from the wedding feast, as we just read about this in today's gospel lesson. Now, after a great deal of intense study and whatnot, the learned men of the Millerite movement set a firm and final date. October 22, 1844. This was an adaptation of the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, which was especially pleasing for the Millerites because they were very concerned with reverence for the seventh day of the week. They believed uh, the seventh month and the seventh day would reveal an advent of Jesus Christ. That day, October 22, 1844, is referred to by American historians as the Great Disappointment. Now, here's what happened on October 22, in 1844. Luis Riel, the founder of the province of Manitoba, Canada, was born. Also, Giuseppe Verdi's opera I Foscari prepared to debut in Rome. Now, here's what didn't happen. Jesus Christ didn't come back in a cloud of glory. And poor William Miller. Retired to a small village in New York, upstate. And he was mocked and pursued by the little children of the village when he would go about his business. Little kids would shout at him, Go on up, Bill! Go on up to heaven, Bill! And some even say that he died of a broken heart. But his followers, all the thousands of people who followed Bill Miller, They simply regrouped and pressed forward and picked a new leader. And you probably know some of them today. They're known as the Seventh-day Adventists. And echoing out of the Gospels themselves comes a promise of Jesus Christ warning against this sort of thing. Keep awake because you don't know. You don't know the day. You don't know the hour. I remember I was college student, and I was watching my father pull this beautiful boat into the barn at the house. It was a, a bass tracker. It was a seven-man bass fishing boat. You know what I'm talking about. It was glorious. It was the sort of boat that he and I had always dreamed about using on any one of the thousands of inland lakes around this part of the state. You know, Minnesota, they call it the land of 10,000 lakes. You know Michigan's got 14,000 lakes but we don't like to make a big deal out of that. <laughs> now, I said to my dad, I was in college. I was feeling my oats. I there's a surge of adrenaline. I said, Dad, let me buy your boat. <laughs> now, this wasn't unreasonable. They hadn't gotten much use. My father was working 60, 70 hours a week. He said, no way, no chance. He said, that boat's my retirement plan. It was an investment in time. See, he was going to spend his retirement sitting on that boat. And I knew what he meant. And I thought about how I would spend my days chasing after him in his retirement, chasing after him to get those fat, largemouth that swim in schools and all the secret spots that we'd scouted out together. And he never retired. He was 58 years old when he died on an operating table less than two miles from here. And I never got that boat. And I never got those largemouth. And I never got to grow old with my father. Well, you know neither the day or the hour. When I get my money together, I think, I'm going to get my money together. I'm going to do something really good, really special. I think of my mentor, Kansas City. The way that he and his wife scrimped and saved their whole lives to build up an investment fund. Their goal was to raise a million dollars. So each year they'd get about $50,000 off that investment fund and they'd plunk it down on some little Kansas City nonprofit that they picked out of a hat, change somebody's life. When I get my money together, I think I'm going to make a difference in the lives of the poor, something like, like those, those wonderful people in Kansas City. I think. I'm going I'm to do something special. While I get my money together, I'm going to give it all to the church. <laughs> I'm going to put my grandma in a beautiful apartment. I'm going to get my Uncle Scotty some home health care. He needs, he can live with me, baby. in my house when I get my money together. But my grandma's passed away. And Uncle Scotty has passed away. I don't have my money together. <laughs> You know neither the day nor the hour. The oil that we're burning, Christians, and the oil that we're running out of is the time that we have been allotted to do the mission of Jesus Christ here on earth. It's not a five-year plan. It's not even a six-month plan. It's a now plan. And it's a today plan. Now is the time for us to act sacrifice and now in the face of again this looming tide of fascism that is rising in America such that we hope to never see such a thing in our lives now is the time to throw our lives onto the gears of hatred fascism and cruelty to drive a spoke as Bonhoeffer says into the gears of tyranny In St. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail, he writes that the greatest enemy of freedom, in fact, is not the fascists or the racists, but it's the moderates who caution peace, who say that we must wait for a, quote, more convenient season, end quote. He knew, as we know, that the only season is now. I've loved the church throughout my life, more than I can put into words. I know Heather knows I would laid my life down for the church for its cause. God called me to ministry 18 years ago and in that time I've served eight congregations all over the country on different sizes. I've officiated 147 weddings and I've put more than 200 Christians in the ground. And every single one of those relationships, every single time when that person passed into the inheritance of love, made good by the covenant of their baptism, changed me. And it was impossibly hard to confront every single time because when they passed, I grieved the ministries that the world lost, the world made poor by their passing. I grieved that loss. And I am reminded each time of the gift that we've been given, the sense of urgency in the present moment, the work that's provided for us out there in our mission field every single day. Good God, I miss them. In this congregation, though we've only been together a short time, I've found so many of you ready to act, so ready to serve. Jesus is warning in today's gospel that that we don't know the day or the hour. It's not meant to be a threat. It's not meant to fill us with a fear of death or a fear of the end. It is a a statement that seeks to release us. To release us today and now to do the thing that may feel or seem impossible to do. To release us from our five-year plans. To release us and liberate us from our scarcity mindsets. To say that you can do it now. You can make ready now. And to release us to dream. What can we do today with our time, our money, and our life? God's never going to fault you for taking risks to build God's kingdom here on Earth. Rather, today God warns us against lukewarm prudence in the face of injustice. Today, we are to make of ourselves a people of profound risk in service to our faith. It means giving, but it also means expecting more. Expecting more from our leaders, expecting more from one another, and expecting more from God. William Miller and the Millerites and all the apocalyptic cults patiently sitting on their hands waiting for something to happen. They believe that the second coming of Jesus Christ is going to happen sometime in the future. What a terrible miscalculation. The second coming of Jesus Christ is happening right now. If you look off to the horizon, you might miss it. It's happening right now. It's exploding all around you. His face and the faces of the people that are sitting right next to you Faces in the faces of the poor, the face in the face of the enemy. If you gaze off to the horizon for some hope for a future, you'll miss it. He is alive today, now. And he has such a promise for you. Such a ministry. Ministry that will make you shake and shout. Come alive. It's all happening right now. The harvest is here. So don't hold on to our spiritual gifts the fruit of the Spirit. Don't hoard them up. Make ready. They're useless down the road. They're needed today, now, immediately. The kingdom of God is at hand. Your lamps are lit and burning. So lift them up. Lift them up. Just like we learned in Vacation Bible School. Let your light shine. And behold, the bridegroom is here today. Amen.